You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell, I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins here on the board as well. It is the final week of Colts OTAs. Plenty to talk about on the field, but we need to start today with a rather uh, weather significant story that kind of broke last night into this morning and uh, off the field issue that the Colts are going to have to deal with right now surrounding one of their draft picks uh, from this last year. Third round pick Bobby Okariki out of Stanford and an email sent out last night by uh, the what was it called? The the Fount- Fountain Hopper. Fountain, right. The Fountain Hopper. It's a publication at Stanford University, a student publication, an email publication that goes out from time to time. Um revealed that Bobby Okariki was the subject of a rape investigation while he was a student at Stanford. And making uh, this kind of even a issue that more light has been shined on it in the past, the New York Times did an article about this specific incident in 2016, Um, did not name Okariki, did not name his accuser either, but wrote about this specific accusation, the procedures that went along with it, called out specific what they believe to be broken or misleading procedures that went into rape and sexual assault investigations at Stanford University. So anyway, I'm going to break down a little bit of of, uh, some of the details that I could gather from the New York Times story and also the email from the Fountain Hopper. Um, And then Chris Ballard spoke today on a conference call with the media. Mike will get into a little bit of those, and we'll go from there. Um, But anyway... The title of this New York Times article um, was a majority agreed she was raped by a Stanford football player. That wasn't enough. So that's obviously a title that jumps out and grabs your attention right away. The um, what it seems to have boiled down to in this article is a he said, she said accusation. She said the accuser said she was raped. Okariki said they had consensual sex. The accuser, according to the New York Times article, wanted to avoid the trauma of a police investigation. So instead, she chose to go through the university's disciplinary board and the rules with the university's disciplinary board, a Title IX investigation, are that it goes at the time had to go in front of a five person panel in order to rule yay or nay on this issue. And that board would then be able to expel the accused if they found uh, in the accuser's favor. But anyway, the first time they went through this hearing process, the board voted three to two in favor of the accuser. So believing the account of the woman. Um, But the issue that the New York Times brought up was um, that the three to two vote in favor of the accuser was not enough to find The accused, being Okariki, responsible for the action, the rule, they needed a four to one decision in order to find him responsible. They didn't get it. They went three to two. And the accuser, the girl, came back, asked for a second hearing based on what she said were procedural problems with the first. She got it, but then went through the process again and again, ruled just three to two in her favor. So both times, like the title of the New York Times article says, a majority of this panel agreed she was raped or sexually assaulted, but the rule was you need a four to one vote in order to find the accused person responsible and then be able to um, impose some kind of penalty after that. 
And even since then, Stanford has changed the rule from a five-person panel to just a three-person panel, and the three-person panel needs to be unanimous in it. So that has that rule has since changed, but as we were talking earlier, it seems to be even changed for the more stringent, that three uh, voices now need to unanimously agree in order to find an accused person in this type of university disciplinary board guilty and then take action. Anyway, the accuser actually asked for a third hearing in this case. She was denied that third hearing, so she got two hearings. Both of them came back three to two, which was not enough to move on, was asked for a third hearing and was denied. After the case ended again, the accuser sought a temporary restraining order in a state court against the accused being Okariki, but that was denied. Court records show, according to the New York Times again, because a judge found that she did not demonstrate that there was any type of imminent threat. So Okariki was never charged by the university. He was never charged by authorities. There was never any disciplinary action taken against him. But still, this was revealed today that it was Okariki, that he was the person, the accused, in this specific investigation, which came to light years ago by the New York Times and now has uh, been brought back into the spotlight by the Fountain Hopper, the student publication at Stanford University. Now, um, Mike, we mentioned that you spoke uh, or heard from Chris Boward a little bit today about uh, this issue from the Colts' perspective. So what did Boward specifically have to say about dealing with uh, with this accusation and what they have done for it? A few things on background. Uh, Okariki is the one that mentioned this incident to the Colts. So they met with him at the Senior Bowl, and Chris Boward says one of the questions we always ask is, is there something we need to know? Because generally, we're going to know anyway, but tell us. And, and Okariki, he said, they said Okariki was very upfront. This happened. Uh, that Chris Ballard said that Okariki gave his side. And uh, and then the Colts, after that, the Colts did their investigation. They talked to people at the university. They talked to people connected with Okariki. Since there was no charges or discipline, Ballard said they did not talk to the, accused, the accuser or her attorney. And they, they just did their homework, and, and this is where the fan base will have to determine, was that enough? A couple of takeaways from uh, Chris Ballard. He said, no, no discipline by the university. He was never charged with a crime. And then you, you look at his track record from that point until now. From 2015 to 2019 in the draft, from everything we gathered and the high recommendations that we got, we felt it appropriate to take him in the third round. And he was asked about where do you draw the line on off-field issues. He's, and he, he reiterated it's case by case. And then, you know, this is this is a serious allegation. He said, look, I get it. I have three daughters, so this is sensitive. I was raised by my mom. I get where the sensitivity is, and we're sensitive to it. <clears throat> Let me get this straight. I don't want anyone to think that we're not. But this incident occurred four years ago, and there was no discipline by the university and no charges by the police. That's kind of what they're really hanging their hat on is this guy was, for all, I guess, technically or legally cleared. Yes. There, you know, there, there's no there there. There was an incident, and they looked into it, and he, he conceded it was he said, she said, but they are going with Okariki's side to this. And and one thing that, that Chris Ballard sort of stressed, he said— uh, Ultimately, the final decision falls on me. He talked to Ursa. He talked internally with Frank Reich. And keep in mind that this is a franchise that is, to me, is, is very, very sensitive to this situation. That, you know, not only Jim Ursa, but 
three of the co-owners are daughters. So if I really believe if the daughters had had an issue with this, I just think they would have stepped forward. I just don't think you, as an organization, you, you bury your head and, and say that this is okay unless you're confident you're okay with it. So, so again, this is something that the fan base will have to deal will have to come to their own determination. Whenever it's this situation where it's one voice against another, it, it's very difficult to move forward with it. Criminally, it's it's almost impossible to move forward with cases like that. When it's one person says something, one person says another, then then what do you do? Because criminally, the, the evidence is you have to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, civil cases um, can be, be uh, based just on a preponderance of the evidence. Which way are you leaning, this way or that way, based on someone's testimony, based on how believable someone is, based on... You could even get into the emotion a person shows in, in a courtroom proceeding in, in that type of uh, scenario. So you see a lot of and, and I'm going to go back to one of my experiences in my career when I lived in Tallahassee, Florida, when uh, everything happened with Jameis Winston playing at Florida State as uh, he was accused of a sexual assault uh, when he was a student athlete there with the Seminoles and criminal charges were never brought against him. There was an investigation, um, but ultimately criminally nothing could happen because for several different reasons down there. I, I don't want to compare an apples to apples uh, thing here with uh, Okariki's case and Winston's case, but there are certain things that that I can I can point to that are similar or different. Um, but but Winston was never charged with anything because they didn't have enough evidence to do so. But there was eventually a civil case against him that was settled outside of court. Um, so in, in this case, the, the criminal proceedings are, are, are done because uh, the accuser decided to go in front of the university's disciplinary board, did not go through a police investigation. There was no criminal proceeding. There was no um, deep, like, physical, forensic police investigation into this matter. And when it comes down to just a he said, she said, like I said, argument or issue, it's so incredibly hard to to accuse somebody based on that. Um, this is, like you said, in one of the most sensitive topics that we can possibly deal with. And and it's 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 rough to do it. I I feel like sometimes I am stepping on eggshells around around this topic, but it's one that we absolutely have to address. And it's an issue that sticks with you. Um, whether you're a woman who believes genuinely that, that she has been sexually assaulted or a man who has been accused of sexual assault, it's something that now we know is something that uh, will kind of stick with Bobby Okariki, at least for the time being, during his first time with the Colts. Well, it's going to come up again whenever we first get a chance to talk exactly. with him. Exactly, and we need to talk because to him we about asked, this. we asked Chris Ballard, what did Bobby Okariki tell you? He said, well, I'm going to let Bobby say that to you. So I assume next week during minicamp. And again, it's one of those things that you simply, the, the best course is when something comes up, you simply address it. Chris Ballard's done that on several occasions. And you, you can argue, and we can talk briefly a little later on, but when, when it comes up, you can either ignore it and let it fester, or you can address it head on. And at least this this management group has met things head on. You don't let it fester. 
So the problem is with it now, it's going to be a story again next week when Okariki, if we get to talk to Okariki. Mm -hmm. I wonder if any NFL team spoke with the accuser. Because I know the Colts are not the only NFL team who are interested in drafting Bobby Okariki, obviously. There were probably 31 other teams that at least thought about this kid. Um, Some of them might have taken him off their board just because of the accusation, if they found out about it. I don't know. But nevertheless... You mentioned, Mike, that the Colts, they did their own investigation. They reviewed the Title IX investigation that happened while at Stanford, but chose not to speak with the accuser, they said, because no charges were brought or no punishment had been imposed. I guess that's the line that you have to decide, were the Colts right in not talking to the accuser because there was no punishment or charges, or should the Colts have gone that extra mile to talk with this girl and seen what she had to say in the process? And that's what that's what fans have to decide, like you said, whether that was right or wrong. I would feel better if they at least reached out to her. Now, maybe she wouldn't have talked to him. That's quite possible. Uh, but perhaps her attorney would have. Yeah. So, they, again, they talked to university officials. They talked to people close to Okariki. But by and large, if you talk to people close to, the, to, to Okariki, you're going to get support. Mm-hmm. So you could argue they got one side of the issue. Uh, and again, that's people are going to decide that the, that the Colts did enough. The, the, the one issue, and we've talked about this before, and, and I just I hate to beat it to death, but this is why it always bothers me a little bit when the Colts are so insistent on, on being high-character players and, and the character issues. I, I understand what they're saying. I, I do. But at the same time, then you open yourself up for major criticism when you have, when you naturally going to have guys on your team trying to make your team who have issues. And, and I'm not going to compare issues, but you've got Okariki with this. You've got EJ Speed, a draft pick, had issues in college. And then you've got Chad Kelly, who's who's a serial off offender. Field, offender. Yeah. So, and again, my point is you, you're, always, you're always going to have somebody with something. That's the nature of a 90-man roster. So, and Chris Ballard tries to temper it by saying, I believe in second chances, and you know, his wife jokes that he believes he can save everybody. I understand that. And that's commendable. But I just think the team opens itself up for criticism when they, when they put such a high bar on, this is who we want to be, this is who we are. And then you're going to have, I mean, odds tell you you're going to have X number of people out of 90 that have something that that's not exactly exemplary, exemplary character. So I wish they would alter that approach, but this is, this is how they choose to do things. And really, when they were talking about character during the draft, Okariki was the guy they really pushed to the forefront of that discussion, talking about him as an Eagle Scout, a team captain at Stanford, Watkins Award winner 2014, given to the top African-American high school football player in the country for excellence on and off the field, spent a summer interning for former U.S. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, um, Eagle Scout. Yeah, all, all these things. That, <laughs> Which is commendable. Super. All these things, very commendable. And... All those things, great people can make one mistake, and then the one mistake defines them for the rest of their life. I'm not saying what happened at all with Okariki. I'm just saying that you point out, like, I'm, I'm trying to reiterate your point. Maybe I'm not doing a good job at it, that if you're going to emphasize character, 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 there's always going to be issues anyway, and that's going to bring 
cause us to bring this up and saying, why are you emphasizing character so much when there are these issues that are there that you know about? Because you said Okariki brought this right up to your attention. You did the investigation about him. You better be darn sure, darn sure that he is who he says he is. And, if who, you're you, and do who you believe he is. Exactly. And, 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 and that's the thing. And it's, 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 it's not for me to sit here and say, you, you know, don't, don't draft a guy who has this on their, on their, on their resume because this, Hey, this is your team. It's your organization. It's, it's Jim Ursay's reputation as an owner. And Chris uh, Ballard's reputation. Like Chris he Ballard, said, like he took, he said, I will take the bullet. Right. In fewer words than that, but yes, right, right. So, so I that's that's all I'm saying is is temper down a little bit. The, the we always used to joke with Chuck Pagano, horseshoe guys. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, there's Raider guys too, and and that wasn't always a a positive reputation or, or stigma to have. It was a bad stigma. So I, I just I just wish they would somehow find a way in my mind to remessage that. Their goal is to have a roster full of guys you'd like to have come home and have dinner with you. But, you know, th- there are going to be a few exceptions to that because you're dealing with 90 players. You're dealing with players, into young kids. He, uh, Okariki was a freshman when this happened, so what was he, 19? 18, 19 years so, old. And again, that's not to make an excuse at all. I'm, I'm just saying that when you set such a high – standard for who you are and who you want to be be prepared to take the the slings and arrows when they come so that's what we know now with the bobby okariki um i'm not i can't even call it investigation the investigation is long since passed but issue nevertheless and we will no doubt hear from okariki like you said mike during uh, mandatory minicamp or in the very near future and we'll get the chance to ask him ourselves about this like chris ballard says ask ask him so he better be ready to talk a little bit about this. He he has to, but I think it's going to be a very. Brief, I think it'll be quick too. Yes, I think it'll be one of those. Hey, something happened. I'm not going to say he's, he's not going to say he made a mistake. Mm-hmm. He won't. He won't go there. I don't think he will either. But you simply have to. He has to address it, and then and then you move on. And and then when the media we, we ask three or four follow ups, I think he's just simply going to say, guys, I listen. I talked about it. And mm-hmm. whether the PR guys step in, it's also worth noting, and it. it it's, it can't be connected. He's the only unsigned draft pick. Mm-hmm. So, but but again, it's if this PR guy if staff is smart and they are mm-hmm. from Matt Connie on down that they know what they're doing. You make him available on Tuesday, and then it's a it's a another one day story. And then you move on. Yeah. So now we move on also from OTAs. This is the last week of OTAs at Colts Complex. Next week, the mandatory veteran minicamp. But uh, several issues the Colts are still dealing with in OTAs that are more on the field or with Andrew Luck's case off the field because he is off the field. He's not on the field still. yet. Again. Yet again. Would it be again or still because he was on the field? Yes. So I guess. Well, nevertheless. It would be again, not still. Yes. Um, when it comes to Andrew Luck, I, I found it funny that, um, that Frank Reich even said d- this week, he said, even if Andrew Luck sits out a veteran minicamp, it's not a big news story. I think Frank Reich's trying to be our news director and, That's a big, de- and determine what's what's right and what's wrong. When you have three quarterbacks in OTAs and one of them's not Andrew Luck, it's a story. Yes, it is. It is. This isn't Andrew Luck 2018. Has he thrown a football yet? No, it's but, not but, that but story. still, 
whenever your quarterback is not practicing, it is a story. What I found interesting, see, I, I initially thought Luck would participate in the minicamp. Mm-hmm. But Frank sort of threw out there, well, I talked to Andrew, and we mentioned that, hey, if... Even look, if look, you look, can't go. Even if you can't go, you know. So, so I, I, I'm getting the impression now they're, they're taking the approach that he's not going to participate until July. So hopefully we'll talk to Luck next week. We talked to him in April when all this started, and he said this is the best offseason he's had. He probably will admit amend that somewhat. Yeah. Because, you know, one thing that Reich told us, he said it's killing him not to be out there, and I believe him. Andrew Luck is a guy who wants to practice. He, he He's he's committed that that's where you get better. Uh, but, again, when your quarterback is not practicing, whether it's a arm, a shoulder, a strained calf, or whatever, it's an issue. It simply is. It's not earth-shattering. It's not a big news story as far as what we're doing as a team and what we're doing offensively. This is Frank Reich talking, and here's the kicker. Am I anticipating him out there for minicamp? I'm not anticipating anything. So he, that, he, you can't you can't sidestep a, a response much better than he, that. He, he, I think he's trying, and we ask him every week, and, and we write this story, and there's not we're not moving the needle much at all. Mm-hmm. But one, one thing to keep in mind, and... and we're just emphasizing that the needle is where it is. Right. It's it's still over on empty <laughs> yeah. on, on your fuel gauge. But one thing to keep in mind is Luck missed all of last last season, all of it, and goes to training camp, and they have a top five offense, and he throws mm-hmm. for 39 touchdowns, and and that's with a very, very quiet September. So it's, it's not like they're, they're going to be that far behind come August, come late July in training camp. But don't, don't don't tell me it doesn't matter that your quarterback's not out there because this is when you do you you try to find wrinkles you try to install things you're trying to get Paris Campbell involved you're trying to get Funches involved so is it earth shattering no is it news yes and it matters that your quarterback's not practicing well you bring up some of the wide receivers there Mike that was another topic of discussion with Frank Reich this week uh, asked specifically about the wide receiver competition and said deep down you got to wait till training camp for this but at the same time you, you see a little bit of the competition out there right now and he mentioned last year at this time the wide receiver competition was not as deep as it is this year I think we can all agree that that that's the case given what they have now with Funches coming in and Paris Campbell coming in and um, just a year more under the belts of uh, Chester Rogers, Deion Kane, uh, Reese Fountain. Some kid from Syracuse. Uh, Steve Ishmael, <laughs> my boy. And, of course, T.Y. Hilton there on top as well. But um, he says what, when Frank, uh, Frank got into the details about the, the, I guess, the end of the roster, what it would take, he says it's a question of who can stay healthy, who can be consistent, and who can contribute on special teams for that fourth and fifth spot? So those are the things that they're going to be looking for on those final roster cutdown days, especially with the wide receivers. So for those of those of us who thought they might keep six receivers, he's saying four or five. That's what he says. Yes. And, and do do the math. T. Y. Hilton one. Devin Funches two. Uh, Paris, Paris Campbell, Campbell three. Deion Kane. It's probably four. And and then you've got six or seven guys looking at one spot. Yep. And the the guys. And we'll talk, we're, we're going to do one of our lists coming up, but we're talking Chess Rogers, we're talking Pascal, we're talking Marcus Johnson, we're talking Creshawn Hogan, mm-hmm. your, your kid from Syracuse. So it's going it, it, to, it's a really, really good situation to have. 
and, and again, what what's what I've paid attention to it last week because Paris Campbell didn't practice this week with a nagging some type of an injury. We right didn't get into it. Is they want Paris Campbell to be their punt returner, mm-hmm. and if he's their punt returner, then that puts a lot of pressure on on Chester Rogers to, to find a way to make this roster. So be very interesting on how this wide receiver group shakes out. Also on the other side of the ball, Malik Hooker finally in his first season that he really hasn't had to rehab in the offseason. And Frank Reich says just in every aspect of Malik's game seems to be a notch or two higher right now. And I think we've talked about Malik a good deal. We've had him in our top 10 under 25 players, our top 10 total players on the Colts and our list that we've done the past couple weeks. Uh, we have high expectations for Malik this year. Malik has high expectations for himself this year, saying with his first actual offseason, he can do everything. It's going great for him. For the record, he's fine physically. He's more confident physically. And, of course, the coaching staff also has high expectations for him as well. We talked to Malik on Wednesday and, or on Tuesday, and th- this was like talking to a rookie, which which this is he, he's, this is the first offseason he's participated in anything. As a rookie, he, he misses all of all season after having, was it hernia and hip surgery? I believe so, yeah. Hip surgery, I remember that. And, and, then, and then coming back uh, after his rookie season, he tears his ACL. So last off season is rehab. So th- this is his first time. He said he was joking with the trainers that they're going to miss him because he's not being in there. He said, I've spent the last two years with you guys. That should be enough. But it, it's really it's going to be interesting to see because this kid – He's like 6'2", 215, not quite 220. He's just a big kid, rangy kid, showed his prowess, what, three interceptions in seven games as a rookie, then he tears the ACL. Last year, he was, he sort of admitted that he hurried back. He pushed the return. I think it was about 11, 10, 11 months after surgery, and he's back in the lineup, right? which, which is quick. And he said it was until like game six before he really felt instinctive until then he was sort of questioning whether the the body was ready where the knee was ready and he really looks he he, he was optimistic he was eager uh smiling all the time so he really looks like this is going to be the guy they drafted first round was the 15th overall in 17 so this bodes well for this defense to get your if you remember your ed reed ed reed comparisons your ed reed back in the lineup so uh uh the arrow is certainly up on Malik Hooker. And I've told you guys how much I love watching safety play before, and that, that holds true to Malik. I think he's one of my most fun players to watch just out there. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. You, you, can, you can see a couple plays last year. He wouldn't he wouldn't tell us which ones, but you could see there were a few plays. He was just a half tick late getting to it. Mm-hmm. And that was what he sort of explained was the reactions, his instincts weren't quite there yet. He thinks he said he feels better now than he did, did it any time in college. Punter Rigoberto Sanchez has signed an extension with the Horseshoe four more years, uh, reported eleven point six million dollars. That's about five years, twelve mil for a punter. Uh, makes him not even the highest paid punter, only the sixth highest paid, but still two mil a year for a punter, not too bad. And given what he's done in his first two years, I'd say that that's a pretty good deal for a guy who was ranked at the top of the AFC and third, I believe, in the NFL last year in net undrafted, punting average. Undrafted free agent. Not too shabby. No. Reminds you of a Gary Brackett type of guy who mm-hmm. so, sort of finds his way. And remember, they, they signed Jeff Locke as, an un, as a free agent. Right after be, McAfee's gone. To be their guy. Yep. And, and, and that's when they had a total overhaul of their uh, special teams mm-hmm. uh, of their kicking minus minus Vinatieri. Minus Vinatieri, he'll be here and he'll outlive Joe's us. favorite player. <laughs> you, you, you just you just don't like the guy. Do you? It's just, 
according to you guys, <laughs> I think he should be kicked off the team or something. Okay. okay. But but anyway, it, it was a Fowler has told us he's going to have some some extensions this this off season. That's one. I still thought <laughs> as much as you you're on Vinatieri, I'm on uh, Costanzo to get him done. But maybe they get Kenny Moore done. Maybe I think there's another one or two they can get done. They will get done before the off before the training camp. Uh, what's interesting about is about the Colton punters. They've had one, two, three. They've had five since moving here in 1984. Mm-hmm. Five. You know, Ron Stark, four Pro Bowlers, four Pro Bowls. Chris Gardaki, one Pro Bowl. Hunter Smith. He never he, punted enough to make a Pro Bowl, right? And, and Pat McAfee had two Pro Bowls, and then they, you know, Pat all of a sudden retires, and they bring in Rigo. So. And they've had. If you go back and look, it'd probably be a good, pretty good story. Is, is the continuity at punter, long snapper, and place kicking? They just don't go through players. They they they, mm-hmm. they find people they like, they keep them around, and it's it's just this is this is the template that works so well for Polian is is you have your own. If they prove to be top end talent, you keep them. And of course, the, you know the key thing there is to make sure they're top in talent. But th- this 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 is how Ballard wants to build this team. And again, they're gonna, they're gonna, they'll do another extension or two before training camp. And that's how you maintain a solid roster from top to bottom is by targeting and re-signing your own. And we talked last week when we were mentioning the top Colts players under 25 years old. We at least mentioned Sanchez. Uh, didn't put him on any of our lists, but saying that. Boy, he at least deserves to be in the discussion because there was several games last year where a well-placed punt inside the 5 or inside the 10-yard line really set up the Colts well. And specifically, I'm thinking of the Giants game at the end of last year where they needed a deep punt, they needed to get the ball back, and they needed to score late. And Sanchez needs to get the first part of that right in order for the rest of the team to keep following suit. And he did that. He did his job. And now he's being rewarded uh, for being able to do that over much more than just one time. He's very consistent back there. So the Colts have their punch. Quality and kickoffs as well. Yes, yes, that too. Um, uh, Another topic that we've had uh, over the past couple weeks will uh, not pan out in the Colts' favor. That is defensive tackle Gerald McCoy has signed with the Carolina Panthers. Colts had expressed initial interest. Mike, you said at least that they would consider things, that you talked to somebody who was in the know and didn't completely shoo you away right away. But the deal, one year, $8 million, that is up to $10.2 million with incentives. That is the reported deal. Apparently, McCoy wanted to stay in the South somewhere. And, uh, well, that's where he does in Carolina. I've, I, after living in the South, people who are down there tell me, uh, Carolina is about as far north as they want to go. Because you get up there and it gets just a little chilly. You're like, oh, I'm good here. And uh, then a lot of people from the north, if they're moving down south, you get to Carolina. It's like, man, it's really hot here. I'm going to stay right here. So that's about that's about the line right there that uh, that people reach when they are uh, moving for the sake of uh, comfort in themselves. And that's, that's where uh, McCoy seems to be. He will not be a Colt next year, Mike. I thought when you look at the contract and the player, I, I just I, – I would have pulled the trigger if I'm – if Jim Irsay had called me, I would have said, do it. And, and I'm sure Jim Irsay told Chris Ballard, if you want this guy, whatever the cost, we'll do it. But to me, this is, without having talked to Ballard about this, I think this probably is an, the latest example of they had a certain figure monetarily on the player, 
whatever it was, five million, six million, whatever, and they didn't budge. And mm-hmm. in the past, we've known previous GMs, if they needed to increase their 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 offer, they would have. But they didn't. I would have again. What is McCoy? Thirty or thirty-one? Thirty-one. And he 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 just would have been better at what you have at that position. And what you have at that position is not bad. So and it, to me, it would it wouldn't have, this wouldn't have been a case of mortgage in the future, right? You, you've got the cap space. You have it, yeah. You've got fifteen million dollars in cap space, which the cap space sometimes is overblown. It's you've got the money to do it. Uh, and it would have been to, to give you that one-year boost, no downside moving forward. I would have done it. It's not my money. It's not my decision. But I, I think what he could have done to your defense, adding Justin Houston and Gerald McCoy to this young defense would have been enormous. Mm-hmm. They decided to stand pat. I, I think even looking at, at McCoy, if there was one team that could convince him to come up north from the south, you would think it would be Indianapolis. Well, they play indoors for Exactly. You play indoors, and you're in the AFC South. And you so, got an indoor facility. Yeah. You, you go down, you play on your road teams mainly. You play the Texans, you play the Titans, you, you play the Jaguars. So, I mean, those road teams are, 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 sat, are southern teams. So, And, and but, he, would, he wouldn't have been moving his family up here. It, it wouldn't have been yeah. a career. It wouldn't have been a lifestyle change. Yeah. So, I just, I, I, I just wonder if the Colts had shown more of a financial interest again not knowing what it what it was i just wonder if because because you can say what you want about play for contender and play in the south mm-hmm. and all that somebody throws money at you yeah you listen so i would i'd like to know the backstory from the colts angle and the colts do play the panthers this year week 16 in indianapolis so that could be a rather important game as well being so late in the season whether it's playoff position uh division title or home field advantage possibly even on the line there. Another story from this week, the Colts reportedly work out safety. Jonathan Cyprin drafted 33 overall by Jacksonville 2013, missed all of last year after tearing his ACL in training camp, but has made 70 career starts with uh, both the Jaguars and the Titans. So um, when you look at safety, Mike, I didn't think that safety was a position now after drafting Willis that they had much attention on. Well, maybe I was wrong that they want to bring in or at least look at somebody else in that area especially a box safety where you have gathers who's still working to get back and farley there on his uh one-year deal willis that you just drafted hooker odom uh kindred who you signed in the offseason another former second round pick like um like cypern is himself so i mean i i was very surprised to hear that they had brought in uh cypern for for a workout i i think this has to be one of due diligence and and you, you're doing your homework in case something happens in August if he doesn't sign somewhere and you have to turn and all of a sudden you're looking for Mike Mitchell. Yeah. You've done your homework on it because, like you said, as far as the numbers, the Colts are in pretty good shape. Do you trust Clayton Gathers? I, I, and this isn't this isn't dogging him, but it's simply history. He It was revealed he had knee surgery. He called it a procedure. Yeah, yeah. But we need to have surgery. we need to have a guest doctor about what's the difference between a surgery and a procedure. And a procedure. Mm-hmm. You know, one's not nice and soft, and one's, you know, that they're reconstructing your knee. But I, I just think this is a case of let's get some work done ahead of time on on this guy. And if something happens, whether it's Farley, whether it's you know w- whether it's Gathers or whatever, th- that you're ready to pull the trigger and, and you've done your homework. So. Uh, do I anticipate a signing right away? I, I don't. Mm-hmm. But you, you've got you've got to have. Going back when we met Ballard uh, after the draft, uh, 
he just mentions that you have to be ready when things happen. Whether it's a, uh, a a player all of a sudden like McCoy being released, you've done your homework and you can you can move quickly and not have to do a lot of legwork. So I think that's what this is, but we'll see. Quite possibly the case. So that's what we have from this week of Colts OTAs. Uh, it's time for another top five list on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Um, we've done top 10, I believe, Colts players. We've done top players under 25. And now we are moving to two separate top five lists. Top five Colts that are on the hot seat this year. Top five Colts newcomers. I'm not going to listen to Joe because I'm sure he's got somebody on the hot seat list. <laughs> oh, I'm sure Adam Vinatieri is number one, one on his hot seat. One with yeah. a bullet. Yeah, no, Just no. ignore the fact, you know, me and you had the same exact list last week. <laughs> we did. And, and, I, and I, I tell you, you guys talked me into changing one because I – on our top ten list, I think I put Malik Hooker in there. You, 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 there you, talk, go. you talked me into that. My so. guy. That's yep. right. I love my oh, safeties, yeah. like yep. I said. All right. So we'll do a hot seat to newcomers. Let's do um, let's, let's do see. newcomers first. Yeah, I agree. We'll do newcomers first, and then we'll get to hot seats eventually. Because honestly, some of the hot seat guys are there because of the newcomers. So uh, top five Colts newcomers that I have this year. Uh, number one on my list is Justin Houston. And I would be surprised if uh, you guys didn't have Justin Houston number one, too. But who knows? I've been proven wrong before. Um, we heard from defensive tackle and defensive end uh, Marcus Hunt and Jabal Sheard this week, and they were both asked about Justin Houston on the D-line, saying, hey, Hunt's like he's impressive to be out there, uh, his presence with the D-line. He's saying one player can really help. It can make a big jump defensively, open up a lot more options for them up front. And uh, Sheard said, talked about more of him even off the field, saying he loves the, te- he loves the teaching role. He's a leader that's stepping up. He's helping other guys get better. So Justin Houston, I would say, uh, is my number one for Colts newcomers. Yeah, Joe? By the way, with these lists, we're talking about for 2019. Of course, the Correct. rookies have potential onward, yes. but as far as yes. 2019 goes, yes. Houston's at the I top. I agree. Number two, I have Paris Campbell. I think that he will be uh, put into the offense in certain situations, not in extensive situations, but he's going to be fun to watch. And also, as Mike said, uh, he's a guy that the Colts may be hoping could take over that punt return role. So that's even another chance to get the ball in the speedy young man's hands. It has been uh, positively compared to Percy Harvin, at least in the past. Uh, number three, I have Kerry uh, Willis. Kerry, Kari Willis. I've heard both pronunciations. I'm going with Kerry because I think that's what the Colts said. Um, but when Chris Ballard trades up, I think, 20 picks to go get someone, We've said before that opens my eyes because he loves his picks, doesn't want to get rid of them, but he gave up one to go get Willis. Um, I anticipate some role for him in the secondary that will at least be a little bit more consistent than a lot of the linebackers uh, that the Colts have picked in this draft. So that's why I moved him up above um, one of those linebackers that I have on this list. So I have uh, Willis, number three. Number four, I have uh, Ben Banigou the uh, second-round pick out of TCU, a uh, linebacker, defensive lineman, whatever it may be. Frank Reich said, uh, again, in his press availability this week, uh, referred to Banigou being more on the defensive line. He was asked about him being more on the defensive line and said, yep, that's absolutely right. It started at more linebacker than said, hey, let's do a little bit of both, uh, a little bit more of an emphasis to get him on there and saying that uh, he's been really flashing at defensive end. So, uh Maybe he'll flash in the backfield once or twice this year. I have Ben Banigou, number four. Number five, I have Devin Funchess. 
Um, Funches comes in to be the undoubted number two right behind T.Y. Hilton. Um, I think he has tremendous potential to be even higher on this list, to be honest. Um, I think maybe you guys would have him a bit higher than mine. I just, I think Paris Campbell will have a slightly greater um, chunk play, big play impact than Funches will. So that's why I had him higher on my list than Funches. That's an apples to apples wide receiver comparison. And um, I, I still think that it's going to be Hilton and the tight ends that are kind of more the focus of the offense. So that's why I have um, more defensive players up there above uh, Funches as well. So that's my top five newcomer list. Justin Houston, Paris Campbell, Kerry Willis, Ben Banigou, and Devin Funches. Mike, let's go to you. I have Funches higher. I figured you might. I, like I, I, said, I have Houston one. And if you don't have Houston one, then... Then what are you doing? Then what, what, what are you then doing, you must Joe? be a Joe. Then you must be a Joe. <laughs> Again, he, he's, the, he's the immediate singular pass rush threat. And I asked Marcus Hunt about that, about can one guy make a difference? And he said, of course he can. Well, that was you who asked he, that question. Uh, yes, I, indeed. I, I was there and I did uh, ask the question. But it's it's he's going to demand double teams, and that's going to free up somebody. It, it simply will. What the Colts were, a, a sack by committee approach last year. They ranked in the middle of the pack with 38. He will make a difference. I've got Funches number two. He's expected to be the number two sidekick for Hilton. Which is he's got to he's got to be better. Remember the bar. The bar is low on free agent signings, receivers, receivers. Wide receivers, Donnie, Avery. Ryan Grant, uh, Avery. No, Avery, Avery's the, you're right. Avery's the bar. Yeah, exactly. He's the bar. That is the bar. Because you know the Dakeem Nixes and DHBs and all that. Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson. But I, I think this guy's got a chance. We've talked that they 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 revived Eric Ebron's career last year. Four mm-hmm. really lackluster years in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Can they do the same thing with Funches? 6'2", 225. He's got some uh, nasty to him, I guess, because he and Brissett got into it a little bit last week, which is a good thing. Uh, I think if he can be what they need, what they've been looking for, uh, I got him to number three, I've got Paris Campbell. And I've got him three instead of two because I think he's going to be the he's going to be the toy they've got. How do we use him in the slot? They're going to try to move him around. And I, I kind of agree with you. I, th- I think he he may have he'll he'll rival Ty on chunk plays. The more consistency will be Funches, but uh, I, I think again the fact that Campbell can be a punt return guy too is really intriguing. Number four, I got Banigou. Again, is is he an end? Is he a linebacker? We're going to need to come to grips with the fact that we we're going to really have a hard time identifying are the Colts in a 4-3? Are they in a 4-2-5? We don't know because of the flexibility they've got. And number five, I've got Rock Yassine in, 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 as opposed to Willis because I think th- th- they're, they're going to look for that third or fourth corner or fifth corner. They're going to play a lot of different sub-packages, and I, I think Rock Yassine might be the guy that gets out there more than Willis, but we'll see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. Mike, me and you had very similar lists. I got Houston at the top for all the oh, reasons wow. you guys mentioned. Hey, yeah, 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 very surprising. Uh, Devin Funches, I have number two. He should be the starting receiver outside, especially when they only go too wide. Um, like you said, big guy, 6'4". My only concern with him is, you know, as far as jump balls go, they already got a couple big guys in their tight ends. So when you need that jump ball guy, there's already guys like that on the roster. But he should still get his own targets. Uh, Paris Campbell, of course, speedy receiver. Just get the ball in his hands and let him go. Uh, can't wait to see what he does out of the slot. 
I love Rocky Sin's addition. I think he'll be very important for this team this year, especially if a cornerback goes down. Um, he's instantly the starter on the outside there. Um, and then number five, I kind of um, went a different way with it. I think what Spencer Ware gives you as far as reliability in the backfield, should something happen to Marlon Mack, um, can't be overstated. I think it's going to be, you know, Frank Wright has harped. He wants to be top five rushing, run the ball, run the ball. And if Matt goes down, the Colts will be better equipped to continue running um, and not have to take a step back in that area. I think that's a good point, Joe. Like uh, the running back, it, 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 they're an injury away from needing Spencer Ware to be pretty darn good this year, Mike. To be very, very good for a long term. Let, let's right. say Mac has another you know issue where it's four or five weeks. It's not going to be Naheem Hines. It just won't be. He won't be the guy they turn to. I don't think it'll be Jordan Wilkins. It'll be Spencer Ware. Or, as we've always mentioned, they're very high on Jonathan Williams. Mm-hmm. But, the, we'll the, see. but again, we'll see. I, if, if something happens, their number two option will be Spencer Ware. It's, it's probably a good choice there. So I guess really the one outlier on this list is me having Devin Funches down at number five. Both of you guys have him up at number two, thinking he'll have a little bit more of an impact. I think he'll have more opportunities. Yeah. But, but again... The, the highlights, I think, will be from Paris Campbell. Mm-hmm. Joe, any thoughts just, on me? At least the start of the season, mm-hmm. I think Funches will get more opportunities, and Paris might surpass him by the end of the year. Oh, we'll see about that. So we're, we're writing this down, remembering it for the future. <laughs> That's we'll, right. we'll see what happens, of course. Um, top five Colts now on the hot seat, and we kind of left that open. That's all we des- described it as. We can uh, say exactly what we think that means as we're making these lists. But I had trouble coming up, coming up with five. Mm-hmm. I really did. I have... You can always go down to like the end of the roster, you know, and like, oh, will this guy make it? Will this guy not make it? Um, and, and say that they're on the hot seat. Joe and I were talking about that earlier. But, um, we're, yeah, we're trying to also find guys in here that might be more solidly on the roster. If but, you didn't have that established of the seat, can you really have a hot seat, you know, mm, if there's never anything right. to sit on in the first place? That's a good point. So, anyway, top five Colts on the hot seat. My number one is Chester Rogers. Um, and in spite of Frank Reich uh, praising him in OTAs, there's a whole lot of competition. We've already talked about it in this podcast today for that fourth or fifth wide receiver spot. And you know T.Y. Hilton, you know Devin Funches, you know Paris Campbell are all going to be on the team. Undoubtedly, injuries, of course, notwithstanding. So there's two more spots available, likely. And Chester Rogers is battling with Deion Kane, Zach Pascal, Marcus Johnson, Darius Fountain, my boy Steve Ishmael, Creshawn Hogan, our boy out of um, out of Marion and Warren Central. Um, so, so Rogers has a one year deal. That's it. They gave him one year to say prove it, see what you can do with uh, with their free agent tender. And so that is, all intents and purposes, a hot seat if you're given a one year. Hey, go prove it. Um, number two. On my list is um, I have Nate Harrison up there at number two, and he's a guy that we've brought up several times about a guy who was looked to a lot at the start of last year and then tapered off rather quickly. Um, I don't think that he's going to make the final 53. So again, this is kind of a what we were referring to, Joe, is maybe he doesn't even have a seat. Maybe I put him on a little bit too high, but nevertheless, I don't know if Nate Harrison's going to be on this roster at the end of the year, but he has a lot to prove if he wants to make it there. Number three is uh, Matthias Farley in a very similar situation to Chester Rogers, given a one-year tender this past offseason to see what he can do. But he saw some more time last year before he got hurt himself because of the injuries to the Colts' safeties. Um, But now you have Gathers back, you have Hooker back. Presumably they're healthy. Again, he's an injury away from being pretty darn important. But I 
I, you can't go to a press conference, it seems, without somebody talking up George Odom. Um, and you had just drafted Kerry Willis, again, out of Michigan State. You signed Derek Kindred in the offseason, a former second-round pick. Um, so, so my eyes on Farley. What can he do? Is he going to show that he's useful back there and in special teams? I know that he's done a good deal of special teams with the Colts uh, in his career, so maybe he can really set himself apart in that area and give himself a, uh, a solid position uh, there long term. So those are my first three, Rodgers, Nate Hairston, Farley. My third is Eric Ebron. Ebron is number fourth on this list. He had a tremendous year last year, unquestionably fantastic. But he's also on one more year. This is his final year of his deal. Was last year a flash in the pan? Was last year more what Eric Ebron can do long term? Can he do something a little bit more consistently? Maybe not 13 or 14 touchdowns, but maybe eight touchdowns. That would be fantastic if he can get to eight touchdowns this next year, in my opinion, even though he wants to set the, t- the record, 22 or whatever it is, break Rob Gronkowski's record. Hey, set, set your aim high, sir. So Eric Ebron's number four on my list on the hot seat because, hey, if he, if he falls back to anything close to what he was before, I don't know if the Colts are going to re-sign him next year. So that's more of a 2020 than like a not making Yeah, I guess. Team. Yeah, 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 exactly. So maybe kind of more of a 2020 hot seat, to be specific. But his seat is hot in the fact that all this year – it is going. I'm, uh, our eyes are going to be. My spotlight is going to be on Ebron and see how he performs. Absolutely. So, um, and number five, I have in the same vein as that. Maybe for uh, 2020 or beyond that. Really, it's more 2021 because Anthony Walker's contract isn't up until 2021. But the Colts drafted a bunch of linebackers. Man, they drafted Okariki. They drafted EJ Speed. They drafted. Um, Ben Banigou, even though he's been playing more at uh, defensive line. So if, if if you want to see what the Colts want to improve at, you look to the players they brought in. And they brought in a bunch of lo- young linebackers. And in spite of uh, Anthony Walker's really very, very good year last year in the shadow of Darius Leonard, again, similar to Eric Ebron, can you keep that up this year? Is that more of a sign of things to come? Or is that a flash in the pan? Is that a one-year thing? Is that a peaking, and then you're coming down on the other side of the mountain the next year? So hot seat for me in terms of I'm, I'm looking at him saying, hey, man, if you don't perform, there's a bunch of hungry guys right behind you that are going to take over that spot. So those are my five in the hot seat. Chester Rogers, Nate Harrison, um, Matthias Farley, Eric Ebron, and Anthony Walker. Mike? I took a more a, a quicker approach about guys in danger of not making the roster. Okay. And I tell you, now that you mentioned Ebron, though, I, I think he's the one player in my mind. I want to see how he plays this year. Mm-hmm. How, do it again, and and if you can't do it again, and if if the production really falls off, how will he deal with it? So I, I kind of like that, but again, I took a different approach. Mm-hmm. Although at the top of the list were the same Chester Rogers. Uh, he's coming off his career year: fifty three catches, four eighty five, two touchdowns. But as you mentioned, as we've talked about, this is a deep young room if they keep four or five if they keep five it's just going to be tough his spot probably will come down to can can paris campbell be a reliable punt guy if he can i'm not sure that chester makes it they want consistency and in the last two weeks from what we saw during our time with, with watching practice chester was inconsistent last week and he was off the charts this week and that's kind of what he's been right so number two, along sort of Rogers number two is Zach Pascal. 
He was their kick returner and fourth or fifth receiver. 23, 27 catches, 268, couple touchdowns. I really don't see him making this, barring let's take injuries out of it. Number three, I've got Nate Harrison. Uh, and to me, it's a tough call, but he's, he's given us flashes and then he's gone away. Mm-hmm. And this is not a position to, to be to be not sh- making you know strong strides. You every have practice. to be consistent at corner. You oh, you've have got, to be. Let's say they keep six, and maybe that's a stretch five or six. Pierre Desir, Kenny Moore, Quincy Wilson, Rocky Seen, Marvell Tell, Chris Milton. I mean, it, it's just going to be hard to, for him to make it. So, so, but maybe that's the motivation he needs. Number four, I, I've got two linebackers. I got Zara Franklin and Matthew Circus. Adams. Yep. So both won't make it. Both might be gone. I don't know. Right. Because again, like what you've talked about, when when you're so linebacker heavy in the draft, it tells you. What they what they thought about the room, mm-hmm. so that one. And number five is, is another split vote, offensive line, Jamarcus Webber, or Raven Clark. I just don't know that both make it. Uh, Raven Clark brings experience, but he's inconsistent. And Jamarcus Webb starts the opener last year, and then he gets hurt. So that's my list. I like your list, and uh, for for your linebacker choice, that's more like more hot seat for this year, which which is. Great, and mine was more like I said, hot seat for for next year, I guess, or the even the year after. Well, but you, same position and for the t- same reasons. To take your approach, maybe with Eric Ebron, I, I might have made that a slash Jack Doyle. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean because Ebron were wanting to see him do it again, and Doyle were saying, "Show us your back from that hip injury." And hip right. injuries, I, they're just they can be dicey. Players mm-hmm. have not come back from from hip injuries, and. Doyle is a guy that you, you, you just pull for on so many levels. Aside from him being a local kid, he just does things the right way. But, uh, again, from players, you want to see, can they do it again? Ebron, can they do it? Can they return to what they were as Jack Doyle? Mm-hmm. Joe. All right. Number one on my list is Adam Vinna. I'm joking. Yeah, yeah get out. <laughs> I'm we're, we're joking. Turning off the system now. Oh, come on. Uh, Chester Rogers. Yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious. Paris Campbell's He's gonna... simply not going to listen to this, is he, Chester Rogers? No, no, yeah. he shouldn't. We're, we're his motivational tape. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Paris Campbell's just coming in to do what he did last year, play from the slot and hopefully return punts. So it's going to be very hard for Chester to make it. Um I kind of did what you guys said and see the positions where the Colts were deep. I hope I'm saying his name right. Al Quadin Muhammad. Al Quadin Muhammad, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He played mm-hmm. the fourth most snaps on the defensive line last year, but with all the additions, you know, Justin Houston, Banigou's definitely going to have some pass rushing snaps. Um, Ture might be healthier this year. Gary Green, who they just drafted. Yeah. yeah. So there's going to be someone's going to be cut from that group. Um, next one on the list is Nate Harrison. For all the reasons you said, I, I don't need to go through that again. Uh, I looked at linebacker as well, so many additions. I put Sky Moore on there, but I could have easily put mm-hmm. Zaire Franklin or Matthew Adams, uh, 2018 seventh rounders. Um, and then another one on there, we've talked about him quite a bit, but I don't think anyone on the Colts seat is hotter than Chad Kelly's for reasons we've <laughs> talked about the past couple of weeks. I mean, for someone who gets enough you know, attention – very, very unlikely that he makes the team. I, I like your choice. I like your choice, Joe. It, it's funny. We were talking in the press room the other day about how non-newsy this offseason has been. And it, to, to pound home the point, the biggest news prior to Okariki was Chad Kelly. 
mm-hmm. your fourth quarterback who probably doesn't figure into your plans this coming year, but that 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 just sort of drives home how uneventful the offseason has been, which is a good thing. And that exactly, that's what you hope for. Uh, you hope for an uneventful offseason. You hope for a nice and easy offseason. And then the NFL season itself provides all the drama and hopefully in the positive variety. But we still talk about it week after week because we find things to discuss and chat. Top five lists. I promise eventually we're going to get to our uh, AFC South breakdowns that, that we've uh, promised now for several weeks in a row. Uh, it's like uh, Matt Damon on Jimmy Kimmel show. Like, oh, apologies to Matt Damon when we just ran out of time this week. Apologies to the Houston Texans. We, we ran out of time. Don't take it personal. Yeah. So nevertheless, uh, we will get to our AFC South breakdown sometime in the future, most likely after um, the, what's it called? After, Minicamp. Mandatory yeah, mandatory minicamp. Exactly, after mandatory minicamp when it's kind of the dead period before training camp at the end of July. So um That's our show, the Colts Blue Zone podcast for this week. You can download, subscribe online. Make sure you get those downloads to your podcast listening device week after week. Um, Follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Follow me at Dave G underscore sports. Follow Mike at MChapel51. Follow Joe at Roto Street Joe. This is the Colts Blue Zone podcast inside the Fox 59 CBS4 podcast studio, and we'll see you next time.